listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast with the biggest balls of all, with your hosts, Kurt Squires and Greg Ferguson. It's time to rock. Stand up and be counted for what you are about to receive. It's ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast where extraordinary fans salute this extraordinary band. I'm your trusty host, Kurt Squires, alongside my partner in crime, Greg Ferguson. Eric Kielb is over there at the controls, and we are on the highway to season two. And if you've got the time, episode four features the founding member from one of the big four, Scott Ian. Now, as an original member of Anthrax, not only did Scott help to create thrash metal in the 1980s alongside Megadeth, Slayer, and of course Metallica, but was also influenced to actually pick up a guitar because of the mighty Malcolm Young, not to mention deeply inspired by Angus Young's stage antics, and even made the lifelong commitment to put both of those two iconic brothers on his skin to commemorate just how much ACDC has impacted his own career trajectory. Scott is also an author, TV host, spoken word storyteller, gambler, comic book connoisseur, fellow Stephen King fan, and married to the lovely and talented singer Pearl Aday, daughter of the legendary Meatloaf. We actually got a chance to have dinner with Scott and Pearl at the classic Rock Roll of Honor Awards in London, who were lots of fun. But before that memorable night, we caught up with Scott in North Hollywood and interrupted him while he was in the middle of recording some pretty killer riffs. But without further ado, let's jump right into this interview. Um, Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with us and talk ACDC. Oh, you're welcome. So before Angus and Malcolm came into your life, what kinds of music were your parents listening to in the Rosenfeld household growing up in Bayside, Queens? My dad was really into like the Doobie Brothers, uh, Neil Diamond, um, Paul Simon, yep, stuff like that. My mom was into that stuff too. My mom was also really into Elvis. Nice. But, you know, my dad was into rock and roll too. I mean, he was a child of the 50s, so really into rock, all 50s rock and roll, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, you know, stuff like that. So um, cool. from early on, like, I got to say my parents had pretty good taste in music. Yeah. You know, they weren't listening to real M.O.R., you know, just like crappy, I don't know, I, I don't know why I think of Pat Boone, but like my parents weren't listening to stuff like that. You know, like just crooners. They were listening to rock music. Oh my God. I can't believe you just said that. We just interviewed Pat Boone for this show. I mean, he recorded an ACDC song off uh, I'm in a Metal Mood. Release. Well, I know he did that metal thing. I know, but I'm talking about like Pat Boone of the 60s when it was just not cool. Okay, okay. You know, I mean, I like, you know, my parents like had the Woodstock record and yeah. uh, they they listened to rock. Okay, okay. We didn't want you bad mouthing Pat, that's all. He gets total street cred for covering it's a long way to the top and for being a nice guy so it sounds like you had a very healthy musical education going on thanks to your folks and now you've probably influenced them so that their favorite band is acdc right <laughs> um 
they probably know of ACDC because of me, obviously, but I can't say that they've ever really listened to ACDC. Right. Well, however, those bands that you mentioned from the 50s that your mom and dad were so into uh, were exactly the same musicians who influenced ACDC, right? I, I was actually told by their manager at one point that Angus doesn't own a record made after 1958. So <laughs> whether that's true or not, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, I suppose probably a large part of his collection is is like pre-1960. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I always thought that ACDC was very competitive when it came to talking about other bands because they simply just never did. For example, when a reporter would ask what they thought about the latest band or the latest trend, they would either say, I've never heard of them, or the most recent thing in their catalog was Chuck Berry or the Rolling Stones. Yeah. So you've been weaned on early rock and roll, and I know you were pretty smitten with Kiss as a young teenager, but tell us about hearing ACDC for the first time. Is there a good story behind that moment? Uh, It would have been been around 78, I think. 77 or 78, I was in junior high. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was actually... I believe it was a guy named Zlatko Novkovic. And the only reason I remember who it was is because when you grow up in Bayside, Queens, there's not many dudes named Zlatko. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, he was a kid that I uh, went to school with, a friend of mine, and um, he always seemed to know about the, whatever the new cool band was before anybody else. And years later, I chalked it up to the fact that he was European, and Europeans always just seem to know what's better first. Sure, yeah. What was your reaction? How did it? How did it change your life? I remember just being instantly, like, blown away. I had never heard a voice like Bonds before. Right. And and, and I will admit, when I first heard Bond singing, I, it was kind of like I didn't get it. I, I didn't. I had never heard a sound like that in my <laughs> life uh, come out of a human, like singing and. <laughs> It was so different than anything I, I was listening to. And it actually took me, I went out and got the record because I, I just thought it rocked. Like, you know, obviously I, I got into it, but the vocals, I, I, I was just, I, I couldn't like, I couldn't figure it out. And then once I did, you know, he became a favorite singer of all time. But wow. I think it was just so good when I heard it initially, I didn't even understand what I was hearing because, I, I, like I said, I had never heard anything like it. Yeah, right. Bond's voice was completely left field at the time, truly unique, almost like a fine wine or maybe a grain alcohol. But uh, on first listen, it was an awkward vocal, wasn't it? Yeah, compared to everything I was listening to at the time, where, you know, singers like like Robin Zander from Cheap Trick or or you know Kiss or Ted Nugent or the Ramones or like a lot of the stuff I was listening to at that time period, the guys, the singing was just much more normal or just, it sounded like stuff that had come before it, you know, whereas Bond didn't sound like anybody. No. Nobody. Like there was no touchstone for me at all the first time I heard Bond. And an incredible front man too. Someone who seemed real, authentic, original, totally natural on stage, but unpredictable. And honestly, not only did he sound different, he looked different, like a drunken pirate. I've read where he actually was drunk in the studio sometimes, but he still carried off those amazing stories with great wit and an incredible tone. Tone, and it was really high, and but yet this this power and like this, this you know, the way he would turn a phrase and, and uh, 
you know, it just, you know, it blew my mind. So Bon Scott and ACDC give you this visceral reaction that's about to change your life, but you don't quite yet know it. Um, describe to us how you think ACDC changed your life, how they made you feel. And they made me feel rock. They made me feel like these guys were talking to me, like these guys think about the same shit that I think about. They're into the same things that I'm into, like, and they're out there and they're getting to do it. And they come up with these crazy ideas for album covers and, and they do it. And that's, you know, like, and it's kind of already where I was in my mind as a kid, as a kid was playing guitar and jamming with people all the time. And all I ever wanted to do was be in a band. And, and uh, um, ACDC just spoke to me on the gut level, you know, of just like, look, these guys can do it, so, you know, so can I. That's a good point, Scott. And I think Malcolm Young once said something to the effect that if a kid can look up on stage and say, I can do that, then that's a gift. And ACDC have always seemed to be the most approachable band in terms of making people want to pick up a guitar and learn how to play. Even if it meant joining a band with your own sibling who you fought with like cats and dogs. You once stated that Malcolm Young literally taught you how to play guitar by sitting there and listening to the Rhythm King himself. Um, so when you first formed Anthrax, did you attempt to hire your brother like Malcolm had done with Angus to form that same kind of sibling bond? Well, we didn't, my brother didn't start out in the band. My brother uh, ended up replacing somebody because truthfully we had nobody else at the time. And, and, uh, and he could kind of sing, <laughs> I guess. I don't even remember. This is 1982 we're talking about. Um, okay. uh, so yeah, Jason, my brother Jason, I think he was in the band for five, six months, maybe, you know, until we actually found someone who could really sing. So <laughs> I, I, that I don't think was ever going to be something that was permanent. You know, okay. I, I mean, granted, if he was like amazing, sure, but my brother was, right. was not really a singer. Ah, oh, poor Jason. We've talked in the past about how difficult it would be to have a sibling in the same band, so you probably did the right thing. Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, you know, my brother and I have, have, you know, we've never actually worked together in that capacity. So I would only think that if my brother was in the band, yes, we probably would have thrown down at some point. So back to the Young Brothers and, and how they influence you to be a musician. Uh, especially Malcolm's rhythm playing. What about Angus's performance? How much of his stage antics did you lift from and embrace and make your own when you were cutting your teeth in anthrax? Well, Angus, Angus has a signature move, the way, he, the way he moves his feet, you know, the way he moves his head, the way he plays his guitar. I mean, he has his thing. I was influenced him in a way of his, the energy that he puts out on stage. My attitude was, um, unless you're gonna do that, then there's no reason for you to even be on stage. You don't deserve to be on stage. If Angus Young is putting out that much for his fans, then everybody needs to put out that much for their fans. Yeah. And um, that's just the way I always felt about playing live. You, you know, you have to give everything. And uh, I was naturally, just since I was a kid, I was a headbanger and that just became a big part of my, big part of my stage presence, I guess, and just moving and, and I develop my own things naturally. I, it's just the way I move when the drums kick in. Right. Um, it's always the way it's been since day one. So 
and it looks nothing like what Angus does. And I could do a, a mean Angus, but um, <laughs> it, it looks nothing like what Angus does. The similarity is, I think, in just the amount of energy and kind of going to your own world and uh, 90 minutes goes by and I'm like, what did happened? that just happen? Right. You know, like, cause I just kind of go off onto another planet. I actually first saw Anthrax open for Iron Maiden in 1991 at the Worcester Centrum in Massachusetts. And I got to see firsthand how you're able to channel that same frenetic energy of Angus Young on stage you're talking about, which ended, I think, with a great unexpected cover of The Who's Won't Get Fooled Again. Uh, covering a band like ACDC, however, is not easy. In fact, very few really cut the mustard, which goes to prove how hard it is to play something which seemingly sounds so simple, right? I have to say you did a killer version of ACDC's Walk All Over You. Cool. That was with Dee Snyder, right? Yeah, with Dee Snyder. We actually had spoken with Dee, and he said that he had an absolute blast with you uh, and that you had given him a call because you knew he could pull it off from seeing him back in the club days playing a lot of ACDC covers. Um, did you record at the same time, or was it one of those instances where... You two were in different locations or recorded on different days? No, didn't he come? I'm pretty sure he came to our studio and we used to have our own studio when uh, we're still based in New York. And- uh, I don't think we talked about that. If I remember correctly, he came down, he came to Yonkers and and came to the studio. So I seem to remember that unless I'm like, just wishing that's what happened. But I, I think that's what happened. Why Walk All Over You, which which I'm glad you did. It's a killer ACDC song, a greatly overlooked album cut. And can I just say, one of the best recreated Angus solos I've ever heard to date. So kudos to you. Um, why walk all over you? I, I don't remember. Um, I think we might have already had been jamming on it at the time, and, and we already knew it really well. So it was it was just it was that easy to be able to just record that one. We've always we've done a whole lot of Rosie live a bunch. That's right, another great cover. So you know how difficult it is to recreate ACDC. Have you ever heard any others that stand above the rest? Whitfield Crane. Uh, uh, was it on that same tribute record? I think he did Ride On. That's right. That's which right. Which I think is a great version because he can really do Bon really well. He can really channel it when he wants to. Um, yeah. I've like done, played live, uh, uh, jamming with people, and had Wit come up and sing a bunch of ACDC, and and he just really nails it. And not many people can nail Bon Scott. Um, no, no, they can't. So uh, that's the only one that comes to mind. That is a great Ugly Kid Joe cover. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of cover songs, and some are even better than the originals, but it's always tough for me to hear anyone else do ACDC, and more importantly, to do it right, unless they completely change the melody or, or genre. I listen to ACDC. I don't need to listen to anyone else doing ACDC or 
doing a version of ACDC. Now, you also covered another ACDC song with the supergroup called Damnocracy, which was formed on VH1's show Supergroup back in 2006. And that group comprised of yourself, Sebastian Bach, Ted Nugent, Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard, and Jason Bonham on drums. All you younger cats out there should check this out on YouTube because it's pretty cool. Although you never released anything, I remember you playing Sin City on that final episode. Um, was that your idea? Yeah. Well, we were in Las Vegas. It was, was kind of obvious. Well, I mean the fact that you chose an ACDC song. I think it was my idea. Amazing. Me or Sebastian, I can't, I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, definitely a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, it was a no-brainer. And how easy did that track come together, given all of those personalities? I mean, as you said, ACDC is not easy to play, right? And and having all of those guys just wing it could have been dreadful, right? Yeah, we all knew the song. It was one of those ones where everyone, everyone even Ted, and Ted doesn't know many other people's songs except for his own or stuff from that era. But Ted, Ted comes from the same school of thought, although Ted is more the... Uh, uh, a Detroit bluesman guy from the 50s and 60s, but also, of course, you know, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, all the old rock and roll as well. So he really comes from the same school as the ACDC guys as far as that goes, as far as what they were listening to as kids. And, right. uh, um, so, yeah, Ted, Ted, of course, knows ACDC. He's played with him a million times, and he knew the song already, so it, it just made our lives easier. Did you ever stop midway through rehearsal and say, Ted, Ted, you're doing it wrong? <laughs> no, no, no. He just listened to the song and you know learned it. Right. Like that. Right. Well, he didn't. He didn't learn the Angus solo correctly, did he? He played his own solo. He didn't play Angus's. Right. That's what I solo thought. though. He, but you're not going to tell Ted to play someone else's solo. <laughs> no. He might get the crossbow out on you. And speaking of Vegas, you've been known to gamble once or twice, appearing in the World Series of Poker main event. Um, you should totally adopt Sin City as your theme song. You know that? Um, if there was a way for me to have a theme song, I guess I would. I do listen to, a, I mean, a, a lot, like, I'll go back and forth when I'm playing cards. When you're in a long set, you know, you're in a long tournament and you, you know, you're starting at noon and you'll be playing until, you know, 12 hours or something sometimes. And uh, so I go back and forth listening to music, not listening to music. And I have lots of different mixes that I listen to. And of course, there's tons of ACDC on there. Oh, that's cool. Well, speaking of throwing your money towards things you might have addictions with, I have a pretty stupidly expensive ACDC collection myself. Nothing compared to hundreds of others around the globe who take collecting to the next level. But are you a collector of ACDC memorabilia or have you wisely avoided that affliction? <laughs> Other than uh, records, no. I I'm not like that kind of, I don't collect memorabilia really. Like when I was a kid, I had a certain amount of Kiss stuff, but it's just because they gave you it with the albums, basically. But uh, no, I, I, I collect other stuff. I collected comics, I collect guitars, but not, um, not like band memorabilia. Like, I have too much of my own. Do you have that ACDC rock and roll comics issue from the early 90s? It's actually a pretty good story. Oh, really? Oh, I already know it, though. And the artwork probably sucks. Like that, so. <laughs> no, it's actually pretty good. Really? No, actually, it was put out by a guy named Todd Lauren who started Revolutionary Comics based in San Diego, I think. He created these unauthorized comic books on Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Kiss and so on, many others. And they, they all involved some lawsuit uh, involving the bands. He ended up getting murdered, like stabbed 15 times at his residence, which went unsolved. But there is an ACDC issue out there that tells the story of their entire career 
up until that point is actually surprisingly an excellent comic book. I've seen a lot of those band comics. Yeah, I know. They're, they're either hit or miss. So as you know, ACDC Beyond the Thunder is about how extraordinary fans have been influenced by this extraordinary band. And you've been affected in a trifecta of ways. One, learning to play the guitar through listening to Malcolm Young. Two, inspired by the energy, stamina, and stage performance of Angus Young. And to commemorate your passion for the Brothers Young, you decided to call up a good friend and tattoo maven, Kat Von D. Now, Kat, up to that point, had given you a little late-night drunken tattoos from time to time. But this time around, you were seriously committing to have Angus and Malcolm receive a big chunk of real estate on your body for the rest of your life and even have it recorded for good measure on TV. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if that doesn't say I love ACDC, then I don't know what does. Yeah, it was my first. I mean, I, I, I don't have... I mean, I have a lot of tattoos, but the only band-related stuff or really music-related stuff I, I had before that was I've got the uh, uh, Anthrax thing over here, and this is from a side thing called SOD I did. Yeah. And, uh, and then this black tooth is, um, uh, represents Dimebag Daryl. But, uh, don't forget about your uh, Gene Simmons tattoo, right? Oh, well, and I do have a Gene Simmons thing on my leg, too, which I forgot about. But... Uh, um, I don't really have like true portraits like of anyone. And it's the uh, first time I decided to actually get a portrait of somebody on me. And um, when I knew I was gonna be doing this show with Kat Von D, I was doing her show LA Inc. And right. Kat's just the best at portraits. Like there's just, to me, there's nobody better. Yeah. And, and uh, I had thought about it quite a bit over the years, like uh, getting Bon Scott actually. Oh, wow. Bon was who I was gonna get, and that was my plan going in. Uh, but I just couldn't find the right image, like the right photo. I researched it for months online, and I spoke to a lot of photographers that I know who shot Bon. No kidding. And they sent me uh, uh, all kinds of photos to look at, and I just I couldn't find the one that really struck me. Like like this is the one. This is the one I'm gonna put on my body. Yeah, you know? yeah. So then I said, all right, maybe I should move on. Let me just get away from Bond for a minute. And I said, what if I was gonna get an Angus tattoo? And instantly, the the Highway to Hell cover, uh, his image on Highway to Hell was that's it. Instantly, it was no question. Like yeah. if I was gonna get an Angus tattoo, this is the one. So I spent like another week trying to find a Bond shot because then my idea was I'll get Bond and Angus. Oh, both right? of them. Still could not find the Bond photo that I was happy with to com to finally commit to. So then I said, all right, I'm going with Angus. And- uh, Sent it to Kat. So I sent Kat the, uh, I went over there, discussed it with her, gave her the album cover, all good, right? This is before we did the show. Yep. So I find out that they have to get permission, right? <laughs> they need permission because they're gonna show the album cover on, on a TV show. So they need the, the licensing, the rights to show this. Oh no. They need the record company's permission and they need the band's permission, right? Oh. I find this out the day before we're supposed to be doing this, right? So I get a call from this producer of LA Inc. And she says to me, hey, um, Scott, so look, we're having a problem getting a hold of ACDC's management and oh, that's weird. we cannot show the artwork um, on the show, which would kind of make the whole thing pointless. So, unless we get permission. So is there any way you could call up ACDC <laughs> and like get permission? And I'm like, wait, hold, what? 
<laughs> right. What do you mean call up ACDC? Yeah, just give him a call. Like, you're kidding, right? She's like, no, I figured like all you guys know each other. Like, just call up ACDC and ask the guy that you're getting the, and I'm like, hold on, like, like we all hang out at some clubhouse after work. Like, <laughs> yeah. we just like kick back and play pool and like, it, yeah, I wish, right? <laughs> so I said, um, you don't just call ACDC. No. It's not that simple, you know? I'll see what I could do. No, we know, believe us. So I call my manager and I'm like, I reiterate the story. About an hour later, Anthrax's lawyer calls me and says, look, I know their lawyer. I'll throw it out there, it can't hurt, right? Yeah. He speaks to their lawyer and within three hours, Wow. somehow the lawyer like contacts the producer at LA Inc. They fax over the paperwork and within three hours they have signed off from uh, from uh, Atlantic at the time and from the band. I don't know who on behalf of the band, probably the lawyer, but uh, signed off on it and we were a go. So, and I went in LA Inc and there it is. Oh my God, that is amazing. Cat did an amazing job. That's incredible. It looks just like the album cover. Do I dare, can I see Malcolm? I gotta see Malcolm now. So then of course, once I knew I was getting Angus, there was no way I could not get Malcolm because they're, they're equals in my mind. You can't have one without the other. It's just, <laughs> right. that's it, that's ACDC. And uh, we didn't do Malcolm on the show because we only did the one and I wasn't gonna sit for two tattoos at the same time. So a week later, there I went back is. and got Malcolm. Oh my God. That is, <laughs> I think I have tears in my eyes, Scott. Those may be the greatest rock and roll tattoos of all time. I have to admit, Malcolm's even better. I mean, how's that likeness? Unbelievable. I mean, in a sense, the likeness is even better on Malcolm. I think it than, is better. Than Angus. It's like looking at a photograph. How sick is that? It's completely sick. And I love the location of them. It's like yeah, they're just two guns for hire. It was just so perfect. <laughs> and as an aside, listeners, if you're dying to see what these tattoos look like on Scott's body, head on over to ACDC Beyond the Thunder YouTube channel where we have a promotional video. With that amount of detail that Kat did, how painful was it for you in just one week span? Plus it's such a sensitive location, it must have been absolutely punishing. No, you know, I thought it was going to. That's, that's why I had stayed away from inside here forever. I've got all these tattoos all over me, but I never went inside the bicep because I always heard how bad it was gonna hurt. Yeah, exactly. And then Kat started this and I literally was like, that's it? <laughs> that's it really like like maybe like up here a little bit it, it hurt a little but it was nothing it, it, it was really nothing and I'm kind of glad all these years I was afraid of that spot because otherwise I might have gotten something else and then I wouldn't have had the room here to do this because I mean I can't think of a better you know two better tattoos no it's just so they're I they're love so it perfect I right love there. it and I'm still gonna get Bonnet and I've actually found the photo that I want and I think I'm doing two more portraits. Uh, I think I'm gonna do them back here, one on each shoulder blade. Okay. Uh, I think I'm either gonna do there, and that would be if I did Bon on one and Phil Lynott from Thin Lizzy on the other, uh, or I might just get Bon on my chest. Somewhere. Oh, but that's awesome. Sure. And what I've heard from most people who sport a gaggle of tattoos, not unlike gambling, it's kind of an addiction, right? Yeah, no. Does this it, ever end for you? It totally ends. I mean, I used to be way more uh, aggressive about tattooing and now it's like I, I have no patience for it when I sit and they start 
I used to be able to sit for five hours. Now, oh. literally, like an hour and a half into it, I'm like, I'm done. You, I hate you. Stop. <laughs> like, I'm gonna kill you. I just don't have the patience anymore. So, yeah, there's definitely an end. And I still, I mean, I don't have anything here. My whole upper back, like most of my legs, and I'll never. I'm not gonna, you know. Besides the fact that I really only have like one or two other ideas of stuff I even want. So I'm so psyched you have real estate set aside for Bond Scott. So you heard it here first, folks, Beyond the Thunder, Scott Ian, Bond Scott tattoo. Oh, yeah, yeah. So sure. speaking of Bond, you once made a top 20 favorite ACDC song list. 18 were Bond Scott songs. Six of those 20 tracks were off Highway to Hell. But based on that list, you're also a Power Age guy, like many of us, and you claim that your number one favorite ACDC song of all time is Down Payment Blues. Yeah, if I had to pick one ACDC song, I mean, that's so hard to do, but... Describe why that song out of the entire ACDC catalog does it for you, if you can. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. I can only maybe go by... I listen to that ACDC song more than other ACDC songs. It's one I go back to more often than other ones. If I look on my playlist in my iTunes, I'll notice that that song is played more than other songs. I, I, I don't really know why. I, I guess, it, you know, besides it being a great song, but they have a hundred great songs. So um, just something about that one, you know, it's just always done it for yeah, me. Yeah, that entire album is so solid. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about recognition. ACDC was finally inducted into the Hall of Fame back in 2003 and, and long overdue, of course. Let's talk about Anthrax. You formed the band back in 1981, one of the founding fathers of thrash metal and part of the big four of that genre, along with Metallica, Megadeth, and Slayer. And I think it's safe to say that you introduced a whole lot of people to rap music due to your crossover mashup hit uh, with Public Enemies Bring the Noise. Not to mention, influence an entire new subcategory genre that became new metal. I'm doing the math now. So Anthrax has been eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since 2008, if I'm correct. And so far, not a single nomination. Uh, awards and... And creativity to me really don't, it's never meant anything to me. I, I don't really understand the concept of being rewarded. For I, I'm already rewarded because I'm in a band and I get to do this. Like that's my reward is I, I do what I love to do. Right. I don't really understand the idea of here's a thing because your song was better than all these other songs. Mm -hmm. According to these people. <laughs> right. Like it's something I've never really subscribed to. And I appreciate the Hall of Fame and the fact that they will, you know, they're making something that's a place for people who maybe, I don't know, who feel the need to go to a weird museum, you know, and look at a bunch of stuff and they could say, oh, wow, like those guys must have been really big. You know, maybe a hundred years from now it'll mean something. But yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't really personally don't have any need for it. It's a catch-22. The recognition is nice. Awards are weird, somewhat arbitrary, especially when you're talking about art. But to be in that club alongside the Beatles and Chuck Berry and the Stones and Joplin and Zeppelin and ACDC, even your peers, um, Metallica and Public Enemy, is definitely rewarding. But if you're overlooked like so many other great bands have been, 
and we've talked to Eddie Trunk at great lengths about this topic. Do you deep down inside just say, well, screw you, Hall of Fame? No, I don't say screw you or either way. I, I, you know, if, it, if, if we were ever um, nominated for it, we would be perfectly pleasant about it, but it's not gonna change the way I think about life or music or anything. It's, it's just the, another thing that's happened in the, you know, this, this trail we're on. Well, it's been an amazing trail, and, and we appreciate what Anthrax has brought to the table within the thrash music legacy, and that you're still out there doing it. You know, as Keith Richards once said, it's all about those bands who do it the best and who do it the longest. So keep bringing the noise. Yeah. Uh, the real mission for us here is to do a deep dive into the influence that ACDC has had on not only those direct musical connections like yourself, but also famous CEOs and Ivy League professors and pro athletes, even people within the ACDC camp. And we were looking to see what it is that makes this band so Pied Piper-like. You know, can... Can you help take a crack at dissecting this phenomenon called ACDC for us? Well, I mean, look at it. Look at, look at how they started. They started out as a working man's band. They were a rock, rock and roll band playing Chuck Berry covers in, in working man's pubs in Australia. Yeah. And I, I mean, and I can only go by from what Angus has said. He said, and we just used to do a bunch of rock and roll tunes and every once in a while slip in one of our own. Right. You know, and hope nobody noticed. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's where they got their start, and they really I think communicate to just everybody. You know, they're the public's band. They really are, um, a, from any walk of life, rich, poor, young, old. I think um, I think ACDC just speaks to everybody. You know, it's it's in a sense it's it's not the common man's music because there's nothing common about what they do. Everyone thinks it's common and simple, but it really isn't that common and simple. No. Try doing ACDC well, you can't. Like, it, that's, uh, that's a whole other story, but yes. they speak to everybody. I think they, they hit everybody in that same gut level because they're playing pure rock and roll music. And the same reason why kids went fucking nuts for rock and roll in the 50s when it first came out, when Bill Haley, and Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley and Little Richard and all those guys first started, and that whole first generation of teenagers lost their minds to rock and roll, ACDC touches everybody in that same way because it's the pure essence of rock music is what they're doing, and they've never, ever, ever strayed from that path. And I think that's why everybody from all walks of life can, can identify with them. Yeah, you just got me amped up, man. That was awesome. And on a deeper level, why does a band like ACDC connect with more people around the globe than most other bands in the history of music? Do you have a theory behind sure, why sure. they rock more than others? Uh, I mean, of course, it's not for everybody. Not everybody likes rock music. But true. if you like any type of rock or rock and roll then ACDC is gonna move you, and they're the kings of it. So that's why they move so many people. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people on this planet that like this kind of music, and they all love ACDC. ACDC philosophy from <laughs> Scott Ian 101. Nah, I mean, you know, I, I, I guess they have made my life easier besides of all the joy they've given me over the years of getting to listen to them. But uh, one of the questions I get asked, you know, the most over the years in interviews is, what's your favorite band, being a guy in a band? And 
at some point, I was finally able to narrow that down to ACDC and uh, um, even more specifically, ACDC with Bond. Yeah. And uh, so it just makes my life easy. I have the answer to that question like that. That is very convenient. But so uh, just to make sure you're okay with the Brian years, right? I'm totally okay with Brian. Um, it's just different for me. You know, uh, don't get me wrong, Back in Black is insane. And then uh, for those about to rock, great record. Then for me, it just kind of, you got, I've got songs on a lot of albums that I really like, but it wasn't the same for me. And it can never be. Look, you name any band out there that's made more than six great records, like name it, uh, name them, you know, I dare try. Six like perfect albums, you know, eventually you're gonna like, things are gonna slow down a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, over a, a 30 odd year career, you know? Sure. Um, so uh, it's, I think it's just impossible, you know, it's just, and, and they were a different band without Bon, you right. know? Bon is a different person than Brian. Bon wrote differently than Brian. Um, so it's, you know, but I love Brian. Brian's great. It's just for me, I, I got into ACDC with Bon Scott, so that to me will always be, you know, it'll, that will always be my favorite. Makes total sense. Makes total. I, I just wanted to make sure you're okay with my man Brian. No, <laughs> nothing against Brian. Hey, if if Back in Black was the first ACDC record I ever heard, then this would be to be having a different conversation. But you know, it wasn't. Well, we want to thank you so much, Scott, for taking the time to talk ACDC with us flash your killer Angus and Malcolm tats, and even let us interrupt you during the middle of recording. And it's safe to say that you are the man. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So before we clock out, we end our show with this final Jeopardy round of questioning. If you had to describe your favorite band of all time by using just one word, Scott, what's your vote? Rock, the definition of rock. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast, all rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu nanu.